0: COVID has affected us all and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community, discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquajo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Kwejo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients and their families because inefficiencies, overwork and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Ladies and gentlemen, one of our solving wellness initiatives is we're talking about sleep. And we're talking about sleep for healthcare professionals because we know how challenging it can be from all levels, you know, whether you're doing shift work or whether you are doing that, you know, seven to three shift, but you have your kids at home. This could be quite challenging. So I brought my boy, Dr. Ruwan Amaratunga, sleep specialist, respirologist. We go back, my friend. I think we go back. We
1: do. I was actually thinking about that the other day. I was remembering shift in the ICU a long time ago. It was an R2. You were an R3 or R4, one or the other. I can't remember. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, it's been yeah, a while. no, it goes we go back and uh, so for those that are follow, uh, following now, I should mention if you put SW in the in the chat uh, chat box, you'll get a link on how to s- sign up for social uh, um, solving wellness. We're almost up to a hundred members, guys. This has really been blowing up. It's, it's really exciting. So thank you, those that have signed up already, and those that haven't, get on the train, yo. Changing that boogie for real. Anyway, Ruan, so we're talking about sleep. Actually, I, I want to take a step back. What got you interested in sleep, actually? Like, what? it's not the most common, um, yeah. uh, you know, lens for, for clinicians. So what, what got you into that?
1: It's actually, that's a nice question. Um, it's funny, uh, you know, so sleep was just uh, one of those elective rotations um, you can do in uh, in respirology. I did it the first time and I actually thought, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's not not as exciting as you know, uh, fancy lung disease and I- ILD and all that kind of stuff. But I actually did it a second time, um, and uh, what I realized was is that I actually could make a big difference in people's lives. I, yeah. Not that I don't do that in respiratory. I I think I do. I hope I do. But uh, the the evidence is quite clear in sleep medicine. You know, when I when we could be in person with people, it wouldn't be irregular for people to hug me, you know, because I made such a big difference in their life. And, and, um, and, and also, it's not just that, you know, um, it's, I realize when you take a step back and you look at determinants of health and big problems in our society, sleep restriction and the consequences of that are huge, right? They have so many costly downstream uh, effects that I actually do believe humbly that if I can help more people sleep better. I could improve the general health uh, of population. You know, decrease healthcare expenditure. Um, I really think that that's the case. And you know, we all know that prevention, right? That's where you got to spend. I think your your money, right? I mean, that's what you talk about all the time, right? And 100%, so, 100%. so, so that's those are the main reasons, right? That I could actually make a big difference, but uh, for people individually, but I think also systemically. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not saving people in the ICU like you are from COVID. I, I'm I'm getting further away from that as my career goes on. But I think this is you know also valuable from
0: a larger kind of perspective. Oh my God! If you think of the scale, man, like uh, yeah. like as as you mentioned, if you could intervene early, think about the downstream effects. Because I got to tell you, when it comes to eighty twenty of health, you know, nutrition's up there, but also sleep, oh, like man. it's yeah. huge. So like so maybe Ruan like even jump into like. What it, medical issues you could see for when people are, are sleep or are sleep deprived or having uh, issues with sleep?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously it's a, it's a huge question. I always like to explain, I mean, we're talking to healthcare workers, so I can talk a little bit about the biology here and the physiology. But, you know, um, all of our individual bodily systems, our different organs, even our cells, Uh, have a chronobiology to them, right? They have their own intrinsic circadian rhythm, and so it basically guides what they're doing at what time of the day, right? Every cell isn't constantly on 100% producing every gene it makes, it has all the time. That's not how it works. And um, you know, if you look at each of these, you know, millions and billions of processes, maybe millions, I don't know what the exact number is, um, you know, uh, they actually have to be coordinated right? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what really the function, I think, of sleep is primarily, right, is to ensure good functioning and performance of the organism by ensuring that there's good coordination of all the different systems. And so when you don't sleep properly, you have less coordination of these systems and leads to all sorts of problems, right? So, you know, one example would be uh, when we sleep, um, you know, we're supposed to have a dipping of our blood uh, pressure and our heart rate such that when we're awake and in the, in the day doing things that when it, the blood pressure naturally goes up, it goes to a normal level, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you don't sleep properly, you don't dip as much and therefore your daytime pressure, blood pressure and heart rate will go higher, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one simple consequence. When you don't sleep properly, uh, you know, you, the exocrine function of the panca- pancreas, for example, diminishes, you produce less insulin, but then also peripherally because of an issue of this mal-coordination you have less insulin sensitivity mm-hmm. in your cells, right? So that raises blood blood sugar, which leads to diabetes and systemic inflammation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we know that um, lipid handling is affected negatively uh, when um, you don't sleep properly. The balance between ghrelin and leptin is thrown right out the window. And so people, uh, in fact, who are sleep deprived tend to want to not only eat more, but they tend to eat later at night. They tend to eat, um, uh, higher calorie or more calorie dense foods late at night, and on average, they consume two to three hundred calories extra per day as a result of being sleep deprived, which then leads to weight gain. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see there's so many circular issues. Inflammation is higher. People who do shift work have higher rates of cancer, unfortunately. People mm-hmm. who get less than six and a half hours of time in bed consistently have less longevity. They die younger. Wow. so uh hopefully I'm, I'm answered your question uh, uh, as you like
0: but absolutely no that's it, that was perfect because it, it get down into the, like the basic uh like the physiology on why why the, there's that discordance and in, in within the like within the body and and, and the ultimate results like well, as you mentioned you know increased cancer increased uh obesity diabetes um you know like all these things that we're trying to prov- avoid yeah. You know, and, um, and it comes down to once again, that prevention piece, if we could do a better, better address our sleep, a lot of our risk will be de- decreased. And so I think one of the common questions when you think about this is, you know, how much sleep do you need? Like, I, I just heard you say time in bed, which is interesting, because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of thought in terms of, um, you know, if you're in bed and you're not sleeping, what to do and what have you, but just at a basic level, like in your mind or based on what you've read, how much sleep do we all need?
1: Yeah, right, so (laughs) challenging uh, question if you want to think about it in in a lot of depth. Um, You know, there's been lots of work done on this and there's some you know uh, national level guidelines in in the States. Generally speaking, you know, it's based off of studies for many years now, and and the number they use is time in bed because it's a lot easier to do studies that way than actually putting an EEG on everybody and calculating how many, how much they're asleep, right? So the number really is about seven to nine hours of of time in bed, which we good time in bed, right? So not lying in there reading for three hours that doesn't count. You go to sleep at ten. And you know, uh, you wake up, you get out of bed at, at six. And for most people who have normally functioning sleep, you subtract about forty-five to sixty minutes in there. So if they're getting seven to nine hours in bed, they're kind of looking at getting six to eight hours of sleep. And so that is the uh, the normal amount. Now you know, these days everyone's got you know trackers and stuff, and so they get this kind of approximation of sleep cycles. If you look at it from that perspective, right, the average sleep cycle is about ninety minutes. Um, if you have five of them that's about eight hours right and so uh, so that, that that's basically the recommendation for most of us right i mean there's a huge um uh, heterogeneity in the population of what is normal but within that normal distribution curve it's it's that that would be the answer
0: right and you know you'll see different like you'll read about different uh durations even you'll hear about some people just have different chronotypes or they don't need as much sleep. Yeah. Do you have a, an opinion on that? Like when some people that will say, Oh, I only need six hours. I only need five hours. Is that, yeah. what do you think when people say that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, there could be some truth to it, right? I mean, you know, like any normal distribution, there are always people who exist normally at either end of the spectrum. So there are people um, who can get away with less sleep, but there are also, I think, of the proportion of people who say that, I think most of them are incorrect. There's a lot of data, right? Most people still fall within the normal distribution. So that's why it's normal distribution, right? Um, mo- and the reason I say this again is that most people, it's pretty clearly shown that um, feeling well-rested doesn't often doesn't correlate with being physiologically well-rested, right? So in other words, when people are sleep-deprived, if they've done the studies, they often – uh, subjectively feel back to normal a day or two significantly uh, uh, faster than it actually it takes to physiologically recover by objective measurement right so so I think that's probably something really important to 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 hone in on there. so when you say yeah I, I get I'm fine with six hours of sleep, there might be a small subset whom in whom that is actually true, but I think the large proportion is people who just, I've adapted, you know, and, and they think that they're doing okay. And there's some value to that, but physiologically, you know, the, the consequences long-term can be significantly negative.
0: Absolutely. And you actually really bring up a real question that actually, I'm not sure what the answer is. Like, how do you know you are getting enough sleep? Do you know what I mean? I'll I'll, I'll just give a personal example. Like I'm one of those guys that I feel like, probably I could get away with uh, the six ish hours of sleep on a fairly regular basis. Maybe it catches up. I'm not sure anymore. You know, just being with everything that's going on, you know, aside from using some of the, like I'll, I, I fully, I use the trackers. I, 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 try and, you know, do the HRV, which we'll talk about in a second, but what, what, and you like for the basic person, what are signs that you are or not getting enough sleep?
1: yeah it is um a challenging question based on what I just said. Yeah. Um, but it is it is a lot of 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 basically performance, right it's it's how you feel, right? Are you cognitively where you think you should be? Mm-hmm. Are you emotionally where you think you should be? Do you make healthy eating choices? Um, again, there's lots of factors that can hone in and affect each of those things, but but uh, you know if you're well rested uh, and from just a subjective sense these are the things right do i feel well rested in the morning you know am i functioning well am i more irritable or normally normally irritable you know um and, and also do i think the sleep that i got was good right was i up every hour was i getting up to pee a lot right yeah. um but but uh, you know in you know uh, we can't answer this question in the isolation of our reality and that is that most people do have some measurement. Right. Yeah, And um, I'm not sure, maybe that's you hinted. We might be going there. So maybe yeah, I'm, we can jump I'm in. Can jump her, in. Yeah.
0: No, no, for sure. It's,
1: but you know, there are trackers that can help. Um, and, and so it can help you see if you are getting kind of that six to eight hours of sleep that you think you're supposed to get. You know, are you getting at least four full cycles of sleep, ideally five, um you know and, and but more specifically i think the better data that uh, unfortunately a lot of people don't have is is hrv it mm-hmm. is it is becoming there's increasing evidence. heart rate really, variability
0: for those that don't know
1: heart rate variability yes so that, that is the one of the better markers it's a summative marker right it looks at you know, the end it's an end result uh, of a lot of the different aspects of your physiology um and in short you know for again most people it's it's kind of a balance between your sympathetic and parasympathetic uh, systems, mm-hmm. and um, so you know, if you have a higher heart rate variability and you have a lower resting heart rate, at least for you in your range, those are really powerful signs, uh, that you are well rested in conjunction with feeling good, right? So, you feel good, your HRV is as high as it can be for you, and it's your heart resting heart rate is lo- in the lower range of normal for you. Those are those are powerful signs that you're well rested.
0: Yeah, that's very helpful, actually, Ruan. So like knowing, because I think a lot of people, if you listen to yourself, listen to your body, listen how you're reacting to normal circumstances, are you getting more irritable? Are you taking off your shirt in in public because you're so furious at traffic? Like those, those are the kind of things you to think about. And HRV, I got to say, I love it. We're even using the HRV principles with critically ill patients. If you are having less variability your heart rate it's a sign if even in ICU that you're 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 likely to be more sick like you're just you don't have as much reserve and same thing in 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 real life you know if you're you're having less variability telling yourself that you're you're you're, you're more tired maybe it's a day that you're not going to be training as hard if you're you know uh somebody that's quite active and and, and doing that kind of thing you know because obviously as we age we're trying to avoid being injured like a lot of us aren't professionals, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, I, I actually love it. And I've, I've, the tools that I've used have actually correlated well with, you know, how I feel. And so yeah. um, I, I think it's a, a really important concept.
1: I was going to say something too. Also, you just brought up an important point because you asked me before about, you know, how much sleep does someone need, right? Uh, there is, you know, in the literature, right? the number can also depend on, on really what metric you care about the most, right? So if you're, if your primary outcome is cognitive performance, the amount of sleep that you might need w- would be different likely than someone whose primary metric is, is physical performance, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, if you're someone who's fairly sedentary and does a lot of thinking work, which is totally, you know, it's tiring. Yeah. Uh, you don't need as much sleep as someone who is, uh, you know, training heavily and, and uh, applying a significant amount of cellular and uh, metabolic stress, right? Mm-hmm. They might need a person like that may, might need nine hours regularly after a hard training day. They might need 10 hours of sleep, right? And that's no. outside that window and that's perfectly normal. Um, so I just wanted to put that
0: in there. No, that's a great point. It's it's yeah. like, what is, what is, what are your demands? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's true. Cause you, you hear a lot of these like, pro athletes if you hear uh what's his name lebron talk about sleep he's pretty religious about it and i mean he's yeah. what was it, 1984 He's 36 uh years old and obviously still playing at a, an amazing level and uh you know it, it's exactly what you think like you need that yeah. that time to uh to recuperate and um yeah and it's different if you're doing mental gymnastics which as you mentioned is exhausting still uh, yeah
1: there's also one interesting facet in the literature that that has borne out repeatedly. And and it's that although sleep deprivation cognitively impacts, you know, uh, you know, memory, learning, you know, creativity, all sorts of stuff like that, for some reason, uh, like true reasoning and very, very complex cognitive tasks, tasks aren't actually impacted by even total sleep deprivation. It's really weird. And and if you think about it, it is, and it kind of, fits right because you hear about you know people uh anecdotally of course um like einstein or you know tesla or you know these these people who slept like or edison they slept like two or three hours a night or something yet they clearly you know uh, created some important things right it's kind of interesting because there is full of there is evidence for that similarly i i would be Hard pressed. I would probably pay some money. I don't know how much in a bet, but uh, to find a highly a high performing athlete who doesn't get a lot of sleep and take that stuff seriously. It's just physiologically incongruent. Like it's incompatible. You can't be a high level athlete and not get enough sleep. There are plenty of non-professional athletes who think that way. Oh yeah. I'll you know, work out. I'll do anything. I'll get four hours of sleep and I'm going to kid it the next day. No, you, it's not going to work. <laughs>
0: Sorry, yeah, it's not gonna work. You know, what you're making me think though, too, Ruan, is um, <laughs> about all of us at work at three in the morning or whatever. The yep. like, when when there's a really like, I'll I'll speak out of experience. Like, yes, in the you know, when uh, to me, the always the witching hour was like kind of like the 5.30, five yes. between yes. four and six, yes. somewhere around there. Yes, yes. where it's just yes. like you're, you're you're cold and somebody sick comes and you're just like, oh, yeah, I like this is so difficult so but, hard yeah but when there's something that is you feel the you you there's an important decision to be made about somebody's care like as much as i mean I'm, this is a subjective opinion like you're you're making the yeah. right call like you're doing the right yeah. thing for the patient which is reassuring and it's kind of nice to hear that there's some data to back that up cuz yeah. I, I know i don't like making decisions on my 27th hour you know what i mean yeah. but yeah uh, if it's important enough it sounds like we're
1: Hopefully. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's funny, um, <laughs> that circadian dip, the lowest point of our circadian rhythm is between 4 and 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been a while since I've done what you've done, but I remember my my uh, my training very well. And, you know, 5 a.m., oh, my God, it was just the worst time. Oh. It's, you, your, your, your body temperature is also reaching its nadir about time, that, that, that mm-hmm. time. So the fact that you said that you're cold is very biologically accurate and apt. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, you you can make complex choices uh, if you can. The problem, you know, again, is that you know, then you get in your car, yeah, and you drive home, and uh, we're fifty percent more likely to get into a car accident. Yeah. Right? So again, this
0: is another issue. But that's crazy. It's crazy. I, yeah. What about? Um, I mean, we touched on it a bit, but what do you, what do you think about like sleep quality? You know, like, so we talked about duration in bed. We talked about, you know, there's sleep cycles, but there's a, I, I mean, we did some shows on sleep cycles and, and the, you know, with uh, Dr. Kirk Parsley and like different stages, but, you know, do you have a lot of, or do you have an opinion on whether your sleep quality affects your overall feeling of restoration? Like if you spent more time in deep sleep, is that going to be more productive than light sleep. I'm, I'm kind of leading you there, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good question. It's a a complex question. When you look at the kind of internal structure of your sleep, which is, you know, how much deep sleep do you get? How much REM do you get? A lot of that is kind of kind of preset. You have a kind of potential for what you should do normally as an individual and the amounts that you get of REM sleep and deep sleep if, if they're going to increase or decrease it's it's really just based on homeostasis right so basically kind of have a normal amount that's that's your fingerprint and if you lose deep sleep because you went to bed late one day then the next day you will get more deep sleep if you uh, lose REM because you got up early well then you're going to get more REM the next night. So. That in and of itself, like the amount of REM and deep, doesn't really per se impact um, how you feel unless you are deficient in it and you're not catching up on it. Okay, so right. hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. But, but uh, sleep fragmentation is a separate issue, right? So how much is the natural pattern that your body wants to have, how much is that interrupted, mm-hmm. right? That has huge God, well, I'm saying huge. It sounds like I'm saying huge, huge, like, uh, <laughs> huge, yeah, huge. I just gotta say, like a normal person, huge <laughs> impacts uh, on 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 how you feel, right? On the uh, the restorative power of that sleep, and so a lot of that. So first of all, right? You could have a sleep, an organic sleep disorder, right? And so. When you look at the prevalence of, of sleep apnea, for example, it's it's huge, right? It's a significant, right? It's somewhere between like you know fifteen and thirty percent of the population that has It's got it's
0: it's crazy, actually.
1: It's it's a hu- it, it's huge. I gotta find another word. It's massive, massive. There go. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Trump, yeah. and <laughs> and. Uh, uh, so I think that has to be said, right? I mean, that, that's something we all need to think about. Um, and it can happen independent of your BMI too, right? So just another uh, thing to keep in mind. But then there are many other factors, right? So uh, sleep hygiene, basically, right? Are you using you know, electronics before bed? How much caffeine are you consuming? Are you exercising before you go to bed? So if you do things that are not conducive to good sleep uh, and you have a lot of fragmentation, then yes, you are more than likely. Even if you had the right amount of time in bed, um, you will feel worse. And that was the caveat I said at the beginning, right? It's, it's ten to ten to six eight hours, assuming that that's you know
0: good sleep. No, this is this is awesome because yeah, it kind of ties into that question about catching up. Like I, I and and that that um, I love the way you put it. That homeostasis. Did you the night before? Did you get enough? deep sleep or REM sleep. Like, like, um, like last I, I just got off call and you know, I went to bed at a normal time last night. I probably went to bed at 11. I don't even remember it, my head hitting the bed. Like this was like the, I felt like it was deep. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that was some deep Probably was as sleep. Right. And, <laughs> and, and it kind of, and it, it's once again, in some ways, Without me well I'll give you a chance to answer though, but like if it, it feels like you're catching up, and I know you see different things about can you catch up on sleep i mean, I mean, maybe you could formally comment on on whether you can or not in your opinion,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, like most things in life, it, it can be an issue of semantics and and what we think or what we believe or what we want to get out of that answer. so it is complex, but I think if I had to give a succinct answer, I think to the question, can you catch up on sleep? The answer is yes. So, you know, there have been many studies, which I kind of alluded to at the beginning where people were sort of systematically um, uh, sleep deprived or sleep restricted, I should say, or acutely sleep deprived. And they use measures of of mostly cognition, right? So the psychomotor vigilance test is what they would look at and um, yeah, within depends on what how much sleep loss you have but somewhere between you know for an acute period of sleep loss you know it can take one to four days of recovery sleep to recover but that that means you're doing recovery sleep it means that you're getting more sleep at night or you're napping in the day or you're doing a combination of both of those things to compensate and so if you do that you can catch up on your sleep but you know the scientist in me looks at it, the question more broadly too, right? And, and and you know, is someone who's doing constant sleep debt and repayment to a net of zero just as healthy as someone who is maintaining zero all the time, That like they're not constantly doing this, they're just staying flat? You know, that question I don't think has been studied very well, but based on what I, my understanding of chronobiology is that I still think that there are probably – that person, even if though they're repaying and constantly at a net of zero, probably going to be, I think, worse off or have more negative health consequences w- than someone who's. I would think because
0: of the stress state, man, like just like that, yeah. you're, yeah. I don't know, you're going to be. Yeah, no, you're right. Atabolic, there's, there's, you're going exactly, to be pro-inflammatory right? for periods of time. Like, exactly. exactly. once again, no, nothing to back that up except no. for physiology. No, but but
1: that, that's the yeah. physiology. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're right. No, absolutely. So this might be a nice transition into into sleep hygiene or tips because a lot yeah. of lot of um, uh, healthcare providers, because of the back and forth with night shifts, I hear tons come to me about how, how can I improve my sleep? I get that question almost every second day, to be honest with you. Um, and I imagine you get this relentlessly. Um, so in terms of when it comes to hygiene, uh, like at least the basics, um, what are the things that come to mind?
1: Yes. Yeah, so if we just talk about sleep hygiene in general, right? Outside of the context of shift work. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I mentioned some things, but, but, you know, first of all, routine, right? Routine, routine, routine. Um, and that, that doesn't just mean, well, first of all, if you look at bedtime, wake time, wake time is probably the most important thing to keep consistent because it sets the tone for your whole day. Yeah. Okay. So that's number one. Right, So consistent bedtime, wake time, if you had to sacrifice one, sacrifice nighttime and maintain uh, a stable wake time. Um, Eating at the same time of day is also very important to maintaining good sleep uh, rhythm and sleep hygiene, sleep uh, sleep cycling. And specifically not eating, uh, certainly nothing large within two to four hours of bedtime. Um, digestion is a pretty active process and it really causes a lot of sleep fragmentation. Um, if you do it too close to bed, there's that idea, right? Where you're just like, had a giant turkey meal, right? You know, it's the classic one. You're like, (laughs) I'm going to sleep like a baby, right? (laughs) And maybe you do fall asleep faster, but the quality of your sleep is assuredly, certainly worse. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's something, um, you know, basically any real PO ingestion is not advised at least two hours before bedtime and that would include water um you want to just have your system kind of empty um not using electronics of any kind Blue light. within a within an hour of bed and it's not just the light i mean the light is a hugely important part but it's the content
0: right it's a good point we, actually
1: yeah we constantly underestimate this right especially in this pandemic world people are watching the news at like nine or ten and they're going to bed and i'm like what are you what are you doing Like, can you just watch it at six or something, you know, you know, I'm hearing about the Middle East imploding. I'm hearing about, you know, pandemic issues, right? India, you know, the developed world getting all these vaccines and the undeveloped world not getting any, you know, like these things. I don't want to think about these things right before I go to bed, you know? And even if you think that you're not affected by them, most of the time we are, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, in, it increases our sympathetic uh, tone. And, and again, we talked a little bit about HRV, right? I mean, when you have a flat HRV, it's mostly because your sympathetic system is kind of overdriven, right? And, and that leads to more sleep disruption. Sleep is overwhelmingly a parasympathetic state. And so to go into it with a higher adrenergic tone than you should have is already setting yourself up for failure, right? So, so that's why that content is, is, is important and matters. So again, no electronics of any kind within an hour and, uh, an hour of bed. And it's really about setting up a good routine, right? So within that 45 to 60 minutes before bedtime, you got to have a routine, right? Brushing your teeth, washing your face, going into bed and reading something on paper, you know, like they used to do in the it. good old days. Right. I love um, it. Right. Um, and, and also being smart about that too. I mean, don't, you don't necessarily want to read something that's going to get your heart, heart pounding either. Right. I mean, right. I, I, I read this book a while ago by this guy. I love David Goggins. And um, you know, I don't know. Do you know David Goggins?
0: The name sounds familiar, but it's, it's not,
1: it's not. Yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like the hardest MF on the planet. Love this guy. And um, you know, uh, you know, oh, my no, wife re-
0: oh yeah 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 he's the uh maybe Marathon, yeah yeah half brother yeah yeah yeah. yeah 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 he's yeah, yeah. uh yeah he's, yeah so my, you know, my wife is crazy
1: yeah yeah so my wife is reading his book right now before bed and she's like this just gets my heart racing i'm like yeah maybe you know don't read it right before bed or she reads <laughs> something afterwards and that helps her right yeah. but it, but it, it's very illustrative of what I'm talking about. So read something that's kind of interesting and, and fun but that doesn't get your heartbeat going. Um, exercise so exercise is a powerful tool um, for sleep quality and you know obviously many other dimensions of health. But again, not within two, hour, two to four hours of bedtime right so exercise, especially if you're really given it as I sh- hope you should when you exercise. Um, you know you, you increase your sympathetic tone and that's just not good for sleep. Um, other, uh, caffeine, um, oh. so caffeine can have significant, uh, half-life, you know, on the, on, in the books, it's about five to eight hours, but, you know, in terms of sleep, its impact can last 12 hours or more. Right. And, um, and so my advice generally is no ca- If you, if you have problems with sleep, no caffeine afternoon, right. There are some people, you know, who do have it with supper and they're fine they feel fine, whatever. Okay, fine. But if you have a problem with your sleep, be strict about caffeine, nothing after lunch. And if you're still having problems, maybe nothing after the morning. Um, Alcohol, nothing uh, within four hours of bedtime. Alcohol is great for putting you to sleep, but as it metabolizes, it it raises your body temperature, um, which actively counters an important process for sleep. And so usually uh, the second half of your sleep, with alcohol at the beginning is, is very poor. And so it's a net negative. Um, so you want to have that kind of mostly metabolized by the time you go to bed for so four hours. And in terms of exercise, going back, exercising in the, in the morning is the best for sleep quality.
0: No, I think you hit all the major points there. I, um, I really like the, the point though, of just to reiterate the, the lack of screens at yeah. night, cause I think that's probably one that, I feel like 90% of the population is, is, is a victim of. And, and, and I, you make such a good point about the content too. Cause it's like, how often are you reading something that doesn't draw emotion? Like it's, it's designed for it. Your Facebook, yeah. your, your Twitter, it's all designed to draw emotion. Oh so, my God. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it- <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's designed to be addictive, right? I mean, it's yeah. designed to keep dopamine levels in your brain. You know, the C- CIO of Facebook resigned a few years ago because he knew what, what he knew and couldn't couldn't be, wasn't okay with it, having a young daughter, knowing how addictive it is. I stopped yeah. using Facebook three years ago when I, when I watched him talk, you know? Yeah. And by the way, one of the best things I ever did for my overall mental health was to stop using
0: Facebook. Oh, I sorry, bet. Sorry, Zuck and yeah. everyone else. I bet. I know mean, we're live streaming true. straight to Facebook right now, but it's, it's like good. We're using, so, two, no, it's all good. It's, it's, it's true, but it's true. Like it is, uh, this is a way of, um, like it's a very important point, you know, in terms of, you know, we're all trying to, this is a wellness platform and we're talking yeah. about ways to try and improve your well being. And I can't tell you how many people have told me, especially during the pandemic. When they quit their social media, how much better their quality of life is. When they quit the news, no one, I hate to not to be like to go on a soapbox. You don't really need to be watching the news. I'm sorry. Like if it's important enough, you're going to hear about it. Then you can dive into it. But how often do you watch the six o'clock, 11 o'clock news and be like, man, I feel better about the, the world now. Myself, like my, the way I, my outlook on life is better now after doing that.
1: You're right. I mean, they're not really news delivery services anymore, right? they um, they they have their own purpose. They were they were there before Facebook with the yeah. whole dope, capitalizing on the dopamine surges, right? Anchorman too. I don't know if you ever saw that, right? Uh, they,
0: I, I think I saw the first one only.
1: Yeah, which is the classic, obviously. But you know, the second one they kind of talked about, you know, how the sensationalization of media right before the days of Walter Cronkite, where they really gave you news. And you could trust it. Now it's just all about like getting you to watch the news. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it's the same thing, right. It's really designed to get your dopamine up. Um, And so, yeah, so they were, they did that before
0: Facebook. did. Yeah, no. And I'll tell you from personal experience, Ruan, like I've been whatever, censored, filtered. Some news networks will, if I'm being not sensational enough or, or, or not pessimistic enough, they'll cut my piece. You know after doing an interview and uh to me i it really was eye-opening um a couple big points i think we should hit on before uh uh, looks like there's only a couple questions here but what's your opinion for like uh how to approach shift workers like if you're doing the back the the day and night alter alternating between that is there anything that comes to mind in terms of whether it's improving overall sleep or quality of sleep uh, for our listeners?
1: Yeah, it's a challenging issue. Um, you know, first of all, sleep, those sleep hygiene principles are always valid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're sometimes more c- complicated to, to incorporate when you have a, a, a variable shift, but those, they're still true for the most part. So keeping in mind all of those things, right? Don't exercise right before you need to get to sleep. From a sleep medicine standpoint, you know, I always tend to think of the individual, right? Because there are, there's basically three phenotypes for people in shift work. There are the resilient individuals whose, I think, genomics, their genetics, uh, place them in a favorable position. They can actually tolerate sleep work and the shift work and they, they adapt fine, right? So they probably don't even need any of this advice. Mm-hmm. Then there are the people who are vulnerable, Right. So when you look at their responses and, and they just can never uh, tolerate shift work. Um, and then there are the people in between. And so really, it's really those two groups that I'm talking to. I think that we're talking to. Mm-hmm. And um, if it is truly impacting your quality of life, um, the primary recommendation truly is to stop doing shift work. Yeah. OK, I realize that may not be feasible for a lot of us. It might be, though, for some. Right. It might mean working to, to switching to a different department if you're a nurse where you don't have to do night shifts. Um, or uh, if you can't get to day shifts, right, then the next workplace modification would be to try to do only evening shifts. Um, people who do evening shifts are much less likely to develop basically shift work sleep disorder, as we'd call it. Um, it. It's not supposed to really happen with them unless because of their domestic or family or social obligations, they can't sleep in the following morning,
0: right,
1: Right. to comp. And then they can, it's not shift work disorder, but then they have sleep restriction and all those co- consequences. Um, and then if you can't do any of that, then uh, ideally you want to have, uh, again, work, workplace modification, forward rotating shifts. And so what that means is, you know, you go from days to evenings to nights only in that direction mm-hmm. and never backwards, Because our intrinsic circadian rhythm is actually a little bit longer than 24 hours, we have our body, we're just more able to tolerate forward shifting, sleep phase delay. So, you know, if you have any control over that, if you're someone who schedules shift workers, and this is something that you really need to know. Um, other things that bore out in the data are that your shifts shouldn't be more than 12 hours. You should have at least 12 hours in between shifts. Um, if you're going to do rotating shifts, ideally, there should be some stability there where it's kind of like three weeks, two or three weeks of the same shift type before I'm moving to the next. And these are all foundational. I, mean, I realize it may not be exactly the answer to the question, but they're yeah. foundational. They're really important. Right. And so, OK, so we, you seem to do all that. You do the best you can in terms to organize your schedule for your health. How do you deal with shift work? Well, um, especially, we'll deal with night shift predominantly because that's the one that's the biggest problem, right? And so when you're on night shift, um, uh, we'll deal with, I guess, we'll start with the beginning of night shift, okay? Getting a nap in before your shift can be really helpful. Having caffeine at the beginning of your shift can actually be quite helpful. Um, somewhere you know it depends on your individual sensitivities but somewhere between two and 300 milligrams of caffeine um, has been shown uh, empirically to be quite helpful um, exposing yourself to bright light in the first half hour of your shift if feasible can be very helpful there are glasses that you can buy uh, like there, you know there's no glasses inside them but uh, they, they, they kind of put light indirectly uh, bright light you need you know, the studies show 5,000 lux, which is quite bright. Um, you know, Even 10 minutes an hour for the first four hours can really help. As you approach daylight, if possible, um, having the opposite. So having a darker uh, or avoiding bright light. If you go outside, you must wear dark sunglasses. When you're going home, you obviously have to go outside. Um, definitely have to wear dark sunglasses. And I would say you keep them on until you go to bed. And in that note... Really, you should just go to bed after you finish your work. Brilliant. Right? I know I know, it's not easy, and some people go, oh, I can't do that. Maybe you can't. Um, but if you could reorganize things such that you could, that would be hugely uh, helpful for your health. What I'm talking about here, really, from, again, a sleep medicine standpoint, is achieving kind of a compromised circadian shift. A- and because of that, most people following this rule won't still be able to get a full six to eight hours right um, just because by basically afternoon or so really you're just innate circadian rhythm in consequence to what you just did and the night before really wants to get you up and so this come there in then comes the concept of anchor sleep right and so this is a, a period usually you know eight to 12 usually where you're just always sleeping you just prove that and then you know you get up at 12. You can then do some of your, you know, your social obligations, your domestic duties. You know, have a life. That's important too, really important. Um, and then you get in another three, uh, three to four hours later, somewhere in the evening. Um, and so it's kind of a biphasic sleep schedule. And so that can help, um, just by listening to your innate rhythm, and also incorporating allowing for the duties that most of us have. Right. I mean, you could argue that if you do night shift work, that you should just, uh, just stay on that schedule. And maybe in theory that might make sense, but it's not compatible with life, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. That there's some gold in there, boy. Like, (laughs) I I, I could already hear my people saying, "Like, thank you." It kind of ties a little bit into what you said too about napping. Like, Mm, you have a a, a general premise, like because naps, you'll hear a lot of different opinions on whether that's. Useful, not useful, duration and nap. Yeah, whether there's yeah. such thing as a power nap, um, and to, as a follow-up to our night shifts, if you feel like naps or I guess sleeps or nap, I guess whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, yep. putting your head down yep. is a value.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. So yes, napping used correctly is uh, completely acceptable, valid, powerful, and uh, ideal. Um, so with night shifts, if you're going to nap again, it's kind of be in the first half of your night shift. Um, cause you don't, you know, you don't want it to, to, to kind of rob that, that drive to get back to sleep at the end of your shift. So, um, you know, brief naps, 20 minutes, uh, one or two, um, during your shift is feasible, uh, uh, helpful. Um, they, uh, you know, they did a study with truckers, um, a number of years ago and they did, uh, you know, overnight drivers, and the, the regime was basically two 20-minute naps and 10 minutes of bright light exposure, kind of, you know, uh, evenly spaced. The light was at the very beginning and the naps were a bit later. And uh, they had uh, objective improvements in psychomotor vigilance and reaction wow. time. So, so it can be helpful. Now, throughout the day, um, uh, napping is completely fine, but with within some rules, okay? Uh, within some guidelines. And so ideally your nap should be less than 30 minutes. They can be restorative. Uh, they can help with mental function. Um, the reason some people kind of don't believe me when I say that is because they often end up waking uh, kind of later than that. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they're often waking up out of deep sleep. Mm-hmm. And then you have sleep inertia, which is brutal, right? Right. And, um, and, you know, that makes you feel like I should have slept longer. So, I mean, the answer really is ideally less than 30. I suppose if you're going to sleep longer, it should be a full sleep cycle. Um, but really less than 30 because, you know, if you get a full sleep cycle in the day, that, again, is likely going to rob a bit more from your desire to get to sleep at night. Um, along that line, too, is you really shouldn't nap like on a normal schedule. You really shouldn't nap after 4 p.m. Because, again, that's going to re- reduce That drive to sleep, right? We talked about homeostasis um, before. You know, there's two processes with sleep there's the circadian drive to sleep, and there's a homeostatic drive to sleep. And that homeostatic drive is is based on how long you've been awake and how metabolically taxed your cells are, right? Right. And and so it's normal. You're supposed to get tired and less sharp as the night goes on, and then it puts you to sleep. But if you do get sleep, Within kind of four to six hours of, of, of bedtime, it can it can impair your sleep at night. It
0: can mess you up. Yeah, no, I I think of a lot of people too as using it as a tool if they're deprived, like almost creating that homeostasis because of uh, you know you had a rough night before or what or what have you.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, and that goes back to the recovery sleep, right? So if you were acutely deprived of sleep, you can have a nap in the the following day in the you know middle of the day. We have a natural circadian dip kind of, you know, between one and two, you know, that's why siestas occur at that time in in smart societies and um, (laughs) old societies. um, uh, So, you know, you can take advantage of that, Uh, but again, uh, uh, 30 minutes. And again, at night, go to bed earlier, right? So if you nap later, you can't get to bed earlier, right? Mm -hmm. And if you go to bed earlier, then you uh, can again maintain that, stable wake time which as i said is kind of the most important thing because it, when it you know when you're a bit more haphazard about this this is what really leads to issues with insomnia because you know if you don't wake up at the same time every day right if if you will go to bed late and just choose, choose to sleep in well then that day you're going to want to sleep in later right mm-hmm. and then it, that's fine uh, but then you're the next day if you ha- you can't sleep in then you've truncated your sleep and then it, this you know it can become very problematic and that's why with shift workers you biphasic sleep is one of the only solutions
0: absolutely no thank you for that um last question I think and in, in is regarding uh the sleep aids or medication actually yeah. we could do non we could do some yeah, medication. We've covered this a lot with Kirk. But basically, saying that like nothing's really that helpful in, <laughs> in terms of restorative, like, uh, for restorative yeah. sleep. So maybe the emphasis uh, Ruwan could be on if there's anything that is helpful. What do you think it is
1: in terms of medications? Again,
0: yeah, yeah. You could go even too if you want to do the night cover thing or earplugs. Oh or-
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, yeah. Yeah, well, that's an excellent point. So uh, having a very dark room, and I actually forgot to mention that for the shift workers, I'm sorry. When you get home, you've been wearing your glasses, your sleep environment must be as dark as possible. Um, And even if it is dark as possible, wearing an eye mask and putting in earplugs, hugely helpful. Um, So especially for shift workers, but for all of us, okay. Wearing a comfortable eye mask and putting in earplugs can improve. Uh, sleep quality and um, increase the quality of the sleep that you get. Uh, As I mentioned, exercise is a powerful tool, not within two to four hours of bedtime for improving sleep quality um, and and getting that more restorative quality of sleep Uh, and you following good sleep hygiene, as I said. But then uh, that's kind of mostly it. Making sure your environment, by the way, is also comfortable. It's better to have a cooler sleep environment than a warmer one. So you, you can, you know, thermomodulate using a blanket uh, because, you know, uh, the room is cool, right? Rather than having the room be too hot and always being out of the blankets, um, that's not good. You need, your body temperature needs to drop to have good quality sleep. Um, in terms of medications, you know, sleep docs are the least likely to prescribe them because we always want to have more holistic and organic approach to sleep and treating any or- underlying organic sleep disorders. But, um, you know, melatonin is usually reasonably safe medication um, you know, it is intrinsically what our brain uses to get to sleep. Uh, and, and of course, having said that, it's less useful when you already have endogenous melatonin. And so this is a bit perhaps technical, but like whenever you naturally want to get to bed, uh, basically two hours before that is your DILMO or your dim light melatonin onset. And that's when you start to produce melatonin. And so really melatonin is most effective at that time. At lower doses, it can be more of a sleep aid in higher doses, so kind of above five milligrams. So you could use that as a hypnotic and it and, or soporific, and it can help with sleep. Trazodone is a reasonable sleep medication that doesn't impact uh, your sleep quality too much or doesn't impact your airway. It's pretty safe. Um, Lyrica and gabapentin can be useful for um, uh, insomnia. There are other medications uh, like uh zolpidam or um zolpaclone that are in many ways basically benzo derivatives they can work um there's no long-term safe safety studies with them um i don't love them they're the least uh, to prescribe, especially on a regular basis i don't i don't
0: like them yeah yeah and uh so I just thought of another question that I know people are going to ask. So we've talked about getting back to sleep or getting to oh, sleep initially. Yeah. But what, what about those the people that it's four in the morning and they can't get, they're having a tough time getting back to sleep. What do you like to recommend?
1: Yeah. So again, some understanding uh, about the principles, right? That sleep drive I talked about, it's highest at the beginning of the night, right? And so the longer you sleep before you wake up, the less drive you have to get back to sleep. Right, so you're, it, the. It's more fragile the later it is, and so the number one advice I have for people is to avoid stimulus. And so that's where things like an eye mask and an uh, uh, and earplugs really actually have a lot of power, um, because if you're less likely to see ambient light or less likely to hear things in your room, you are more likely to just be able to kind of get back into sleep. If you look at the time, okay this is more problematic than most people really realize and it's because there is an alerting aspect to just looking at the time and understanding what time it is yeah right so uh you know almost whatever time you look and see what time is it's usually not going to be a happy answer right like oh most of the time you're going to think oh it's 3 a.m damn gotta be up and. three hours. Then you look again because your sleep is now disrupted. Now it's 3.30. Now it's 4. It creates and increases sympathetic tone which is again as I've explained already not good for sleep. So number one thing is never look at the time. If you have to get up at a specific time set an alarm and trust that if you haven't heard it you know it's not time to get up. Just try to go back to sleep. There are also Philips awake lights which I really like where um, because if you want to kind of time it with a cycle, you know, you might not be able to predict that, predict that and you set your alarm at six and maybe it's 10 minutes too early. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Phillips wake light, which can help with that, which kind of sets a window of about 30 minutes, with gradually increasing light. And so, you know, if you do want to peek up at least just to see in your room is the light on, you know, you're not even close to the window. That's a nice one. Just mm-hmm. click, click and then just trust and just relax and go back to sleep. Now, if this doesn't work, you don't know, look at the time you do everything you can and you are awake. Um, what you should do is try, give it a small chance to see if you can get back to sleep. And without looking at the time, right? If you can intrinsically estimate something like 15 to 20 minutes, give it that kind of time. But if you're awake, you got to get up and you actually have to go to a different room. Um, And uh, that room should be dimly lit. Again, there should be no real outside influence. You shouldn't be able to see the time. You should not look at electronics. You can read something, but it's got to be really boring, right? It can be like an instruction manual or the dictionary or a a Becherel, unless that stuff excites you, Um, you know, (laughs) right? And when you feel tired, you then just put it down and go back to sleep. If you don't feel tired and then the sun comes up, well, guess what? You start your day. You can have a nap if you want, following the rules that I explained. But then that night, you're going to have more delta power. You're going to have a higher drive to sleep, and you're likely to have more sleep maintenance. Mm-hmm. And so when it happens, if you cut it at this phase, if you at this step, right, you can maintain normal sleep. But when people don't follow these rules, then you can get a lot of chaos in your sleep schedule. And uh, then you mix in shift work, and then you mix in not being strict with your wake time. And then you can see how you can easily destabilize your sleep pattern, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the problem here, I should just be clear, is is it's a psychophysiologic phenomenon, right? So, what's really happening when you stay in bed and struggle, which is what a lot of people do, is that you create a negative uh, subconscious relationship with your bed and your room.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Your brain is supposed to look at your bedroom primarily and your bed specifically and say, I love this place. This is where I sleep. This is the bomb, right? But if you spend a lot of time in there struggling, awake, um, watching TV, right, your brain either says, oh, this isn't a place where I just sleep. Or your brain says, man, I struggle here. Or you start to wonder before you go to bed, gee, I wonder what tonight's going to be like. What time am I going to wake up? This is all really bad. Uh, it's a bad harbinger of the night to come. Yeah. Right? Conscious and
0: subconscious. So- yeah. It's hugely yeah. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, yeah, boy, tell me, that, <laughs> tell me Ruan wasn't throwing down some gold podcast nation solving wellness community. I just want to thank you Ruan for the, 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 the knowledge that you threw down. Cause this is, I know it's going to be super informative, super helpful for a lot of our, our listeners because once again, this is a common question that we get on a regular basis, how to improve sleep, sleep quality, sleep duration. And as you so eloquently said, this is something that ties into health in general. Preventative medicine. Uh, whatever, it's foundational. Yeah, right? foundational. That's a great way to put it. It's foundational. Yeah. So, yeah, we just want to thank you for your efforts and your time. And keep doing what you do, my friend.
1: <laughs> Thanks, man. It's my pleasure. I hope it was helpful.
0: For sure. Qualcast well, Nation, I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that episode with on. He's a gem, and it was great to hear some of these tips to improve our sleep. Once again, jump on the Solving Wellness train, my friend, solvingwellness.com. You're a healthcare provider. We want to help change that boogie. You'll be able to provide better care for our patients if we're taking care of ourselves for real, yo. All right, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube at Quadcast. Leave any comments at Quadcast999gmail.com. Yo, subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Leave that five-star rating. We love it. Helps with the visibility of the show. Y'all stay safe. Be good. And we'll connect again real soon. Peace.